I kind of want to see what the drama is about. And that's like the deeper hook. Or what are the stakes? I think that's a good question to ask yourself. What are the stakes? What are the characters overcoming? Is it personal? Is it an actual physical boundary? Is it, you know, circumstances? Whatever it is, the stakes are ultimately what are going to also hook in the reader mm-hmm. because they want to answer the question. Romance, suspense, commercial fiction, feel-good fiction, whatever it is, you're trying to get at the heart of something and that there's a question there. Why are we asking ourselves this question and how do we answer it? Hey there, welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent and business partner for their writing career, as well as write the best manuscript possible so that they can hook their dream literary agent. We do this by learning how to blend passion with business, either through conversations with literary agents, helping you identify if they're going to be the ideal business partner and match for you, or other episodes that speak to authors and other episodes that do first chapter deep dive analysis episodes. For today, we are talking to someone who I am incredibly excited to share with you. The second that I saw that she changed from Deputy of Marketing and Publicity at Atria Books, which is an imprint in Simon Schuster, to Literary Agent at United Talent Agency or UTA, I jumped on emailing her. I have followed her work for a while now, and she is incredible. She has represented number one best-selling authors as a publicist from Frederick Backman, Colleen Hoover, Lisa Jewell, Rebecca Sturley, Jennifer Weiner, Zakia Delia Harris, and Janet Ivanovich. Huge, huge list. But what I've loved most about her is how human she is. And of course, this is me watching her from afar until this conversation, but really, she brings such personality and sincerity to the work that she does. So I'm really excited to share her knowledge with you today, to share her manuscript wish list with you today, and to share her with you today. Her name is Ariel Friedman, and she recently joined UTA as a literary agent. Ariel works on building UTA's commercial fiction program, Amber Pertz to Bird Level, and Christy Fletcher, who are co-heads of UTA Publishing. She was most recently deputy director of publicity and marketing, which I mentioned at Atria, and she worked there for 12 years. Ariel is experienced in 360 media campaigns as a publicist, strategist, and media planner. She is a strong project leader and has the ability to plan a campaign from idea to total completion. She has also a broad knowledge of social media from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Pinterest, you name it. And she has launched over 40 New York Times bestselling books, including five number one New York Times bestsellers. We'll get into Ariel's manuscript wish list and reasons why she might be the best agent for you in the episode. You should also know that Ariel's specialties include book publicity campaigns, complex tours, budget management, project management, promotional design, branded media campaigns, social media brand building and engagement, integrated marketing, and publicity campaigns. So just know if Ariel does sign you, she has this amazing hands-on experience of the publicity work, which I know a lot of writers out there are very overwhelmed by. And she's really good at working with the individual and helping instill confidence in them when their book does move from manuscript to published draft. As you can tell, I'm thrilled to have Ariel here with us today. So without further ado, I give you Ariel Fredman. Hi, Ariel. Thanks for coming on Lit Match today. I am really excited. The second that I saw that you had changed to literary agent, I knew I wanted to get you on the show. So I'm pumped that you're here and just really excited to pick your mind about everything publishing and get into your manuscript wish list as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. That is very nice of you to say. And I'm very excited to be here as my first podcast as an agent. Yes. Super fun. (laughs) Before we get into it, tell us, now you have a really unique career path. What was your career path like in publishing and what brought you to become a literary agent today? Yeah, absolutely. I was at Simon & Schuster. The imprint was Atria Books for 12 and a half years, which feels crazy to say. And, you know, going further back, I interned in publishing. I interned in advertising. I worked at a golf shop. So I did a lot of things and ultimately always just came back to being a book nerd. 
And one of my first internships was publicity. And it was just this thing that no one thinks about. I think when you think, oh, I, I want to work in books, which means I'm going to be an editor. And I'm going to sit at my desk and I'm going to read books all day. And that is not at all what editors do. But there's also so many other parts of the publishing industry. So publicity was really exciting to me, getting to work so closely with authors on branding and eventually social media. And that was really a big part of the game on strategy that meant all parts of the publishing process because a publicist can really dig in. So I really loved that. And then after 10 years or so doing something, you kind of look around and you're like, well, is this the rest of my life? And it could have been. And I loved working at my previous employer, but I felt like I needed to learn something new. And being an agent has a lot of similarities to being a publicist. You're pitching, you're talking to people, you're hanging out, you're working really closely with authors on messaging, on their work, that whole brand thing that I really love. And maybe you make another dollar. I don't know. So it was an exciting proposition for me. And I had worked with agents at UTA before, so it just felt great. It was a cool transition opportunity. Absolutely. What do you think are, you said there are a lot of similarities between being a publicist and a literary agent, but what are some differences between them? Oh, I mean, so many differences. It's the beginning of the process instead of the middle to end. I kind of talk about publishing being a long line and now I'm the starting line. And the primary difference is I'm now having to say no more. As a publicist, I think, or maybe as a good publicist, you're kind of a yes man in a way where someone has an idea and you're like, yes, I will pitch that. Or someone has a wish, a dream. Yes, I will try and make that happen. You're helpful. You're a person people can lean on. And agents absolutely are for that. But as the beginning of the process, I have 200 books to read right now. And I cannot say yes to all of them, nor should I say yes to all of them. You know, I'm working on figuring out what my voice as a literary agent will be, what kind of authors I want to work with. And I'm in a position to say no so that I can be working on what I want to work on. And I can also focus on helping people the most and making sure my energy is available to the people I choose to take on. So that's a big difference. And also it's just reading more as a publicist, as a marketer, as a person who's in the middle of the process instead of the beginning. You kind of get the manuscript when it's already been read at least once by an editor, which means it's already been fixed you would assume, also by an agent. So I get the book when it's pretty much ready to go. I don't have anything to do with the shaping unless something really jumps out at me and I'm like, oh, let me raise a flag here. Now I'm reading from the beginning. I'm shaping. I'm working on editorial. And that's really fun and something I'd always been fine and good at, but I didn't have the opportunity to do it as much. So those two are the primary differences. When you mentioned that you're a huge book nerd, reading would be yeah, extra reading would be fun, right? So, <laughs> I mean, a little extra reading now. I'm like, oh, when do I live my life? But it's totally, that's <laughs> yes. okay. I was an editorial intern and then I worked as an agent and relations assistant. I don't remember, remember it was from an agent that I worked closely with or if it was just something that I saw, but they talked about how if you're a literary agent, you may be reading manuscripts while you're in labor. <laughs> it's like, you're, you yes. are, you're reading all the time. You're doing so much more than just reading all the time, but you are reading yes. all the time. Yes. yes. It's like you find a free minute in a coffee shop line and you're like, well, let me just check out my reading device and I yep. will get some pages in, get some pages in. Into that <laughs> well, and I know the more that you read, the more fine tuned you are to understanding what you like and what you don't like. So it can be pretty easy to decide if you're fit for a manuscript or not, what's worth investing your time in versus what would be better off needs revision or maybe better suited for a different agent. So you develop yeah. that taste with the more manuscripts you read. Yes. It's like a muscle. And everyone I talk to who's in this business or editors I talk to are like, you hone your muscle, you strengthen your muscle. And it's a very specific muscle to you. Yep. I've always said that brains are muscles too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Very big time. And we tell our kids that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I'm going to read off just a couple of blurbs here because I just have to, because you worked with amazing authors. I told myself I wasn't going to fangirl too much when I came on to this interview. <laughs> you worked with Frederick Backman, who is one of my all-time favorite authors. He is one of the things that I also like to say is I'm assuming that you were probably behind his tour of the winners. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I got to see his presentation live of the winners. And one thing that I really loved, and I just wanted to say this specifically to you, because one thing that I really loved 
was that he came to An Unlikely Story, which is a little local bookstore. It's Jeff Kinney's bookstore. It's a little local bookstore in Plainfield, Massachusetts. And when any of the big author, I mean, Jeff Kinney's been able to bring in a lot of big names, but when any of the big names come to Massachusetts, they're often going to Boston. And that's fun, but it's just like, wow, I loved that he came to an unlikely story. And I loved that if you were behind booking that, thank you for that because that meant so much to our local towns. And I remember his tickets sold out in like a day. Like I have the email went out. I was like, oh, so his tickets were gone. But then there was an overflow of tickets. And I was like, I will be watching that live presentation on the screen upstairs, but I will be in the same buildings. (laughs) Yes. I say all this because he is just unbelievable he's an unbelievable author but also his it is my all-time favorite author presentation there weren't even sometimes specific questions and how he would deliver answers I was like you get it you understand (laughs) you say that because there I want to say two things touring strategy is really interesting so I could also do a whole entire podcast on touring Mm -hmm. strategy but uh, the store is great they put on great events there's Mm -hmm. like beer and wine at the store, which is a huge plus. So if any booksellers are listening, like make it a full 360 experience. That's really fun. Yep. But Frederick in particular is one of those authors who is also a great person and like has the story to back up the writing and his understanding of humanity and other people is just unmatched. So when you're hearing him speak, it's all from the heart. It's also from his understanding of what people want to hear and what might make them laugh, might make them tear up a little bit. He shares a lot about his own personal life and that really resonates with people. So he could be anywhere and and he has that type of charisma that people really gravitate towards. He really does. With Frederick, it was so unscripted and so human. One of my favorite things was actually being upstairs, even though because I wasn't locked on him the whole time when he wasn't in front of me. I looked around the room and right. he attracts a wide range of readers. Yes. You know? Yes. And that was actually one of my favorite parts of the experience because as I was listening to him and feeling so touched on multiple levels, like I can't even really express the layers that he was reaching me at, but I was watching the room and all different types of people, all different types leaning in, leaning in. And like, we're just watching a screen and everyone is like leaning in, everyone's laughing. You can see emotion on everyone's faces. Yeah. And that's what his books do as well. So it was just, it was really, really cool to see that. But I think about this because that's how highly I think of him and of, of many people. And then he has a blurb for you as his publicist. And he said, if you're a writer and ever wondered how I got to where I am, she's the answer. And I'm like, wow, yeah. <laughs> you can't have I'm, higher praise than that. So it's, I mean, he's so nice and nice is just like the most basic word, but he's so kind to me. But also we have a very special relationship and we have an incredible story because Peter Borland, who's his editor at Atria, acquired his book and a few of us read it. I remember I read A Man Called Uba. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was 2013, maybe. I was living in Williamsburg. I was finishing it while my husband might have been watching like some sports thing on TV. And I'm sitting in my apartment crying and he's asking me a question of like, stop talking to me. And I just loved that book. And I was a younger publicist at that time. So I felt like I could take chances in the way I pitched it. So I had the press materials that were like, if you like the movie Up, you will love a man called Uva. And it was like non-traditional. And I felt like it was a chance I could take because I'm, I'm pitching the New York Times. It's kind of quirky, like whatever. I'm like young and I'm a go-getter. And I did all of that. And I got People Magazine and a bunch of amazing booksellers and librarians and reviewers and bloggers hugely supportive at that time too on board and that was all without an author essentially because he wasn't doing interviews in the U.S. at the time he wasn't even part of our plan so that was an authorless book promotion cycle and we didn't start working together until 2016 for his third book Britt Murray was here and that's Mm -hmm. when I met him for the first time so Mm -hmm. I've been working on his books and like you know pushing them forward for a while without having met him. And then when I met him, I met him on tour. We were at Book Expo in Chicago. And I was like, you know, don't meet your heroes is sometimes the the feeling because I am at the core a fan of his his work like you are. And then, you know, when you travel with someone, as I did with so many of my authors who go on tour, you understand the way they work better and that helps you promote them better as well. So I could say that for Frederick. I could say that for Lisa Jewell. 
I could say that for Colleen Hoover. You just get an understanding of what makes them tick and when you need to step in and be like, you need to drink some water or Mm -hmm. when someone's making them uncomfortable or when someone's saying something that's going to stick in their brain forever and you want to also file that away to put in your heart. So yeah, I mean, Frederick and I, we go back as I do with, again, many of my authors, but it's, it's a special experience when you meet an author who appreciates what you do. And that is very touching as a person who is previously in a very servicey job in the publishing industry. Yes. Okay. And this is something that I think is really special about you and that I've observed from just watching how book promotions have worked with certain authors that you've worked with. Also, I think it was in Publishers Weekly when it was announced that you were going to become a literary agent at United Talent Agency. One of the people that you report to is Bird Level. Mm -hmm. And he talked about how something that they were really excited about that you brought to the table was how you instill, you have this unique approach and how you work with authors and how you instill Mm -hmm. confidence in them and how you help them feel comfortable. And what you're sharing here with this experience with Frederick or just as an observation of, do you need water? Is someone making them uncomfortable? Right away, that tells me you understand how to really get, how to really understand what someone needs. And, you know, being a writer is very vulnerable. That's a very vulnerable position. The saying goes that once you publish a book, it's no longer yours, it's the reader's. But as a writer, you're still close to it. So it is vulnerable. And yes, it becomes the reader's and how the reader, I've always very much believed in that, how the reader absorbs a story and how they're touched by it it's for their experience that's why there's magic and stories but as a writer it can be overwhelming and i think that a lot of writers of course we want to reach as many readers as possible but not all of us are necessarily prepared for the business and part of this podcast is helping us prepare for the business side of it because if you want a career as an author you have to understand how to handle the business and a lot comes with that I'd love to know just your thoughts on when you are looking at the individual, the human that you're working with, what are some unique strategies that you use or what are some approaches that you take in order to really understand each writer on a human level so that you can help instill that confidence if there are areas that they're feeling overwhelmed or help bring out the best of them so that they can experience the best experience as they tour, if that's really overwhelming or as at anything really in this path of publishing. It's interesting because I can answer this now a little bit from the agent side and then from the publishing side, you have to be asking the right questions. And what I'm looking for is a collaborative partner as an author. And I found a lot of collaborative partners in the books I worked on. So that is helpful. I think it's about trust on both sides. So there's a listening component. If you ask the right questions and someone says, this is why I wrote this book. And then you start to understand, oh my gosh, this character was like fully informed by this experience this person had when they were 22. They might not even realize it yet, but you're putting those pieces together. Or I'm trying to think of specific examples without actually being specific, but generally I'll say, if you ask the right questions and you're getting a feel for who a person is and you're a good people person, which I think ultimately being a publicist and being an agent requires of you, then you can make a plan to make someone very comfortable. And you can also understand what's going to offend, what's going to delight, what's going to compel them to do what you need them to do, because both jobs also need that. I need to be able to say to an author, I know you don't want to go on TV. Here's why you should do it. And here's how I'm going to make it a less painful experience for you. Or as an agent, you might think, saying to an author, like you might think you're the most literary fiction on the planet. Let me just explain to you why you're up market and that's a better position for you to be in the marketplace. You don't want to offend. You don't want to say like, your writing's actually not as good as you think it is. That might not be the case, but you sometimes do need to adjust people's perceptions of themselves in a very gentle way so that everything is still working for you both. And I think that's the trust thing. Like someone needs to trust that you're not out to get them. You're on the same team. And, and ultimately that is the problem with some authors that everyone works with across the board. It feels like a little contentious maybe because someone might think, oh, my publicist is just sitting there twiddling their thumbs or like the marketing person hasn't done anything or my my editor's not advocating for me or, you know, whatever it might be. There's always a person to blame in the process and trusting that everyone is on the same team is a big leap of faith, but very necessary. And if there are authors who are listening or potential authors who are listening, I will also say like the best thing you can do for yourself is to reward the people on your publishing team 
early and often, not necessarily by sending them a $200 Starbucks card, but like send them a notebook, send them a pen, send them a card at the holidays. Let them know that you're thinking of them because more often than not, the people who are working for you in publishing are not as highly paid as you think they might be. And they do it because they're book nerds or they love books or they love working with authors. And so it's like, it's just like an author 101 tip. I'm like, just send something or or say something, send a nice email. It really goes so far. Especially because this work is a lot of work. <laughs> There's so much that goes into publishing a book. It's a team totally. game. Like Every role is so crucial to the success of a book. And behind that is the author. The author is the creator. Yeah. So without the author, there is no project right. even promote or put out there but yes it does it truly is a team now i always say if there's a book that you love go look at the acknowledgement section because that's where you're going to see the team and really the magic it all comes together as you work together so thank you for sharing that i think that it's it is a really important reminder because it can feel like you're one of the masses but you know advocating for yourself as well is a good thing and and yeah building that team yeah Absolutely. Yes. And you won't feel like one of the masses if you make your team feel valued because then they will make you feel valued. Exactly. Well, United Talent Agency, you're helping expand the commercial fiction. So I do want to get into the specifics of your manuscript wishlist because I know this is growing and developing for you. Before we get into that, just because I've asked several other agents on the show because I love Frederick Backman. And when I went to that presentation, one of the things he talked about was that when he first started to publish, he didn't know what genre he was writing. And then he was told, this is the genre that you're in. You mentioned that sometimes if you have to convince an author, this might be what you're doing, but this might be a better way of marketing it. I'm just curious what even goes into those those considerations. Well, actually, I wonder if people who are authors at the very early stages of their career know what a BISAC is. (laughs) It's a code that bookstores kind of categorize books into. So there's general BISACs for fiction literary fiction, but then you can drill down even into like historical fiction or historical World War II fiction. There's a full BISNAC list on the book industry study group website. And BISNACs are an important part of the sales and marketing of a book. So that decision, what the BISNACs are for a book, usually they're three. That's a global decision within the publishing division, the sales team, the publishers, the marketing and publicity and editorial teams all work on that because you might have historical fiction as the first BISAC, and then that might jump the book into it, the only historical fiction categories. You might want to have women's fiction as the BISAC, and then historical fiction, and then LGBTQ fiction or something like that. So you get kind of more specific as you go down, potentially. But in the case of Frederick, it's still hard for me to say because I would say he's market fiction. But you could also say, I'm in Calduva, and my grandmother asked me to tell you she's sorry, and Britt Murray was here. They're feel-good fiction. And Bear Town, Us Against You, The Winners, that could be considered more upmarket. But he, as an author, has always said, he tries to write simply so that everyone can access the emotional messages he's trying to send. So commercial is like a catch-all because anything can be commercial if it's selling really well. So I think of commercial as something that the masses will want to consume. It might not be super literary because your average Joe or your average Karen who is reading maybe only three books a year, they're not going to pick up a book necessarily and read Grapes of Wrath or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I don't know. They might go back to a classic or not, but right. they're, they're going to pick something up and want to feel invested. They want to be entertained. They want something that grips them and moves them forward. And that can be anything. So that's why commercial has so many subgenres and why like mystery thriller falls into commercial and romance falls into commercial and the women's fiction label, which I could go on about as well, because to quote one of my favorite authors, Jennifer Weiner, when there was a category of chicklet, there was no category of dicklet. For, so it's like, <laughs> you know, why do we have to categorize? And yeah. this is straight from Jen. So why do we need to categorize women's entertainment? Why can't it just be entertainment? Mm-hmm. So the commercial, to me, means something that is intended to sell really well and reach a wide audience. And you package it in that same way. And that can be very variant depending on trends at the moment. Like you could look around and see what's working. You could have an amazing new 
art department head that is moving covers in a different direction. And suddenly that becomes the touch point for what commercial is. It, it changes all the time. But mm-hmm. I think I want to operate in commercial because like, one, I want to sell a lot of books. But I also, as the reader, like I read to feel entertained. And that's not to say that I don't love a memoir like Spare or working on some of the celebrity books I've worked on, like Issa Rae's Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. I love that. But UTA has that handled. And we are working on bringing more fiction talent into PA's landscape. And we should because UTA has so much to offer. So I'm excited by that mission. And I think people are already responding, which is why I have so much to read and why I have suddenly become a no person instead of a yes person. <laughs> that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think that's that's a fresh perspective on commercial yeah. versus upmarket versus literary that I've heard. So I really like hearing that. I tend to gravitate towards upmarket. That tends to be yeah. my favorite. And I feel like upmarket and commercial, it's just kind of one of those things, you know the difference when you read it. Like It's like, it, yes, yes. It's, you it's t- really you can't it. describe it, but it's like, up market's like a little more literary, but not quite. There's a sweet spot fiction is yeah. a new thing, or maybe it's not a new thing. It's just new to me. But it's like commercial premise, literary execution. Mm-hmm. The commercial premise can be anything, but if it's like a little bit more literary, then that qualifies as sweet spot fiction. And I also think of that as a little bit more potentially upmarket. Like maybe yeah. upmarket, there's less of a plot. So you're kind of just like chilling with some characters and feeling the scene wash over you and you stop and put something down because the sentence you read is so beautiful or you might need to read it three times before you can move on. Mm-hmm. Well, not always, but sometimes. And in commercial, you're just, you're reading, you're yeah. cruising. Yeah. But the, the trick about upmarket is then you have to make sure that even when we're just sticking with characters, that it's just not nonsense. It's not just like telling us things that are not going to move the story forward. So that's what I find right. when I've worked with writers who are in that upmarket realm. Things still need to be happening but they're happening maybe on an emotional level for a little bit. Yes. Or we're still moving forward either a character development or plot development. It has purpose. It's fun to hear upmarket because that's where I always felt like, well, I tend to like upmarket. So I think probably Frederick Beckman is upmarket. But then also, is it more marketed as commercial? And I didn't do an interview. I would have loved to have done an interview. I listened to an interview with Jodi Pico and she had talked about how she chose commercial even though like right. i think that hers reads more out market and literary not so much literary but more out market so that's really interesting there's a variety of ways that you can approach commercial what's on your manuscript list within the commercial fiction realm great question so glad you asked i kind of mentioned like i'm looking for commercial not market like a family drama coming of age type of situation something that tells me a truth about humanity but also mystery thriller, suspense. Like, I love when there's a central question asked and you might figure out what the answer is, but you don't care because you just need to know how you get there, kind of. And that often has to do with, like, compelling characters, relatable characters. Pacing is huge. So, you know, it feels like you're rushing to get to the next chapter or the next point of view. And that's one thing I wanted to mention is that I do, not always, but I do enjoy, like, dual POBs or multiple point of views because I like when things start to come together and you as a reader kind of have to figure it out. So even if it's a romance, I like like a suspenseful romance because maybe there's something going on and you need to answer this question. But like, meanwhile, there's a ton of angst happening. That definitely works for me. So I've said commercial, upmarket, thriller, suspense, romance. Obviously, I worked with Colleen Hoover for so, so long. And I just, again, going back to the Jen Weiner, chiclet, dicklet of it all, I feel the same way about romance where like it's one of the most widely read categories in the whole United States. And I would probably guess the world without looking at, you know, numbers, but it, it's just because it's entertaining. It's compelling. It makes people feel a certain type of way. And and I just delight in a rom-com. Like it's my reading reset right? when I'm feeling like, oh, I'm in a rut. I don't know what to do. I'll grab a rom-com or something a little frilly. And it just resets my appetite for reading fast-paced, fun dialogue and I don't know. I'm reading a historical romance right now, and that's not something I thought I'd be into. But for what, you know, the plot is like, is bringing me in and I'm excited about it. So I don't want to count anything out, but I do. I do think what gets me is like humor, heart, quick pacing, relatable characters or characters that make you feel something, even if you don't like them, which I will say is totally okay. To use a man called Uva, you don't necessarily like Uva, 
when you start reading that novel, but then you come to love him. If people have read that, that book, that will make sense. And if not, you can get behind rooting for a bad boy in a romance, or you can get behind rooting for someone who's done something bad if you know that there's some like, issue that happens on their past. Or there's always that backstory that means something. There's nothing that takes me out of the book more when, when someone says, like, cannot. And I'm like, no, 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 use the contraction. It's can't. That's how someone would say this in like normal conversation. If it's a historical romance, fine. Maybe that actually is the the way people spoke. But you got to watch your voice and make sure it sounds like a real person would say it. That that drives me nuts. <laughs> okay, so let's um, talk about voice because voice is something yeah. that is really important to you. And you've specified even on your manuscript wish list that even an email, you can feel yes. drawn in by voice or not. So how someone engages with you through email and that's just the author. And then there's the narrative. This is something that I think almost every agent has told me a voice can, it's really the make or break it. You know, Absolutely. page one, if you're connecting mm -hmm. with that voice or not. So probably let's explore some examples. You've mentioned uh, Jennifer Weiner. She's also one. I love Mrs. Everything. That's one of my favorites. I think it's, it's hard to explain what you like about voice. So maybe through yeah. examples, you could share right. what are some stories that you connect with and why do you think you connect with voice on that level? Right. I think a really good example of voice is Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. You read that book and you're drawn in by what I can only describe as the voice. Like there is a humor and all that stuff, but that's because that's what the author infused into the novel. So I think it's so personal and no one can say this voice is the voice I connect with because it just hits you. And I think of using the email example, I say voice and email because if someone's like, dear Ariel, I am writing to you, blah, 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 blah. And they don't mention, I saw your Instagram. I saw your tweet. I saw the variety piece about you. Then you have worked with these authors. I'm looking for someone who's not just pitching me because they're pitching me because I'm a human body. And that goes back to me being a publicist. The reason I was successful is because I looked at what a journalist was doing and I said, you'll enjoy this because of X, Y, Z. So I would expect the same type of treatment when someone's pitching me to be their agent because I don't want to be your generic agent. I want to be your agent because like you want me. And of course, like there's going to be times where I'm fighting other agents for someone that I love. I've done the dog and pony show, but I also know that if I'm talking to a person over email and I don't like the way they write to me, I'm probably not going to like the way they talk to me. And I'm probably not going to like working with them on a regular basis. And that is not the final stamp on that matter. I'm sure there's some people who are just like super awkward and that's fine. But even super awkward is charming. And to me, that's just who I am. I want to like you. So I want to work hard for you. And I think those things go hand in hand. That said, I've worked with lots of authors when I didn't actually work with the author. And that comes down to their book and their voice. I'm trying to think of what other examples, because that's something you asked me about. Uh, well, Lisa Jewell is another great example of you can kind of read a Lisa Jewell book and know you're reading a Lisa Jewell book. She has a beautiful way of putting together sentences and talking about character that is uniquely hers. And she's another author that you talk about a sense of place and Lisa Jewell can write a house. And The Family Upstairs is a great example of a house being a character because you get that sense of foreboding and you get the sense of creepiness and that place becomes a signifier for the characters as well. So that is a great example of voice and then simultaneously creating a sense of place within a novel because that can really matter, especially in historical fiction. If you're writing a vacation novel, something set on an island, for instance, Like, what does that island feel like? Why is it important for the characters to be in this place? If they could be anywhere, then they could be anywhere in this novel. doesn't matter. So to me, voice doesn't only apply to the writing of the characters, but also to the writing of other elements going on in the book. Yes. And that's one thing that you have mentioned on your manuscript list as well, which I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. But you've talked about a strong sense of place and that why there yeah. needs to be intention with that. So you've mentioned something like on an island. I recently had read The Guest List. I know I'm late to the game with it, but The Guest List by Lucy Foley and that yeah. the island, that story doesn't work if it's not set on the island, you know, so right. that sense of place, it actually gives character. The other one that I like to give as an example is Little Fires Everywhere, like Shaker yeah. Heights is almost its own character with yeah. how strong that sense of place is. Is there anything that you have read recently that you've really enjoyed as a strong sense of place? And why do you think you connected with it on that human level? 
or anything at all that you've read specifically that you've really you know enjoyed? What's interesting is right now I'm not reading new books. I'm reading so much to come books. So I can't really even talk about the books that's that tough. are yeah. <laughs> because there's one, like I have a new client and I'm really excited yeah. about it. It's okay. But I can't even pitch it to you right now. No, it's <laughs> because we haven't gone out with it yet. And, you know, we're working on edits. So talk about an old favorite, an old favorite okay. that you've enjoyed. Well, I did just talk about Lisa Jewell's The right. Series, and, and Maria is a great example. I'm going to look around my bookshelf right now so, to see if something like specifically pops out at me mm-hmm. about place. You know what? Let's go back to Jen Weiner, her most recent summer series, Big Summer, That Summer, and The Summer Place. They're all set in different times on Cape Cod. But mm-hmm. Cape Cod, and it's like lush, summery, the weather, the food, the people that go to these beachy places. Like you can feel that. You feel like you're there. And she describes the sand in your toes and all of that. And that's so important because it really puts you in that like beach read mm-hmm. vibe. And you mentioned Jody and how she chose commercial. And Jen is the same, like Princeton educated under Sony. Wait, who did she study under? I can't even remember. Someone, someone fantastic. So like she's this incredible pedigree and she chose this category. And it's important to note that because I bristle so much at when people say that women's fiction and beach reads are just sloths and whatever, because people specifically choose to entertain. Mm-hmm. And I am very grateful for those people who choose to do that for all of us, because like, that's why we're here. That's why people talk about books that's why we have book clubs like that's why every time i mention what i do someone says oh have you read blah 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 because you can't not talk about a great book that makes you feel something to me that's so exciting and maybe that's because i'm a dork well i'm maybe not like maybe that's just like you know people wanting to connect on a cerebral level as opposed to like a social level so those are my level. favorite conversations i just want to talk I, about stories yeah <laughs> if i can talk to you about stories then we can have a relationship if i can't talk to you about stories it's going to be a little bit more difficult wait, for me <laughs> i just thought of something i just yeah, thought of a book go for it uh, it just came out um, last week it's called the writing retreat by julia Bartz, and it was one of my last books at atria and it is set in a, a famous writer's kind of like gothic giant house in the woods and ultimately, these people are kind of trapped at this writer's retreat. And the space itself is claustrophobic. You can feel it. Stones, gargoyles, locked dungeons, stuff. All, all of that. I'm not describing it super well. But it's an incredible book. And it just hit the New York Times bestseller list. So I'm so proud and excited for her. And that is a great, very recent example of a sense of place that is, you feel it so hard. Yeah. And it makes your spine tingle. I think setting is undervalued sometimes by writers. Like you really do have to pay attention to setting. It is a really important element. But especially in these mystery, thriller, suspense yeah. stories, setting is imperative to tension. There's a reason why Blake Snyder in his Save the Cat book, Once Upon a Time with his genres, were monster in a house. Like there's a reason why you have to be in a secluded place because you yeah. can't escape, right? So definitely it can play a huge factor in how to create tension and conflict which are yeah. their skeletal building blocks of a story. You have to have conflict on a scene level Absolutely. and a story level. Well, you go back to Agatha Christie, too, who's like just the queen of all of these things and the locked room mystery and inspired clue and all these other things. Like those, that spawned a whole entire genre. I feel like suspense wasn't really a thing until like 20 years ago when it was suspense instead of just mystery. Or, I mm-hmm. mean, who knows? The feeling you get from Agatha Christie's novels has spawned this feeling in so many other people who pay homage to her. Homage? 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 <laughs> One of those words I just realized I don't say out loud a lot. Homage? Is it homage? I think, I think it's homage, yeah. <laughs> homage. <laughs> homage? Homage? No, wait. See, I, I think I've heard homage more. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say homage. But <laughs> this is, I'd have to go to pronouncewords.com. Oh, right. <laughs> that, that excellent website, but all smart people like you use it yeah. and don't admit it oh i definitely no i definitely admit it i definitely need help with pronouncing words sometimes it's just this is so funny now i'm like totally off track but i but (laughs) but what a great example of like you can be anyone in this world and you still might not know how to say a word like oh (laughs) as long as you don't write cannot in an email then you're okay (laughs) like it's just the spacing between can and not like i don't know (laughs) 
It's just not how people talk. It's not how I, we talk. I, no, it's I not. Yeah. My own emails back and I edit them. I edit contractions back in just to make sure that I'm not sounding too formal or, mm-hmm. but that's my style. I'm an exclamation point person. And I, even in this process of people querying me, like my gut is to write back and be like, I got your email. Thanks so much. But I'm also like, oh no, am I giving them too much hope? Because like more than likely I'm not going to be working with them. But I also am in the business of making people feel good. So it, it's very hard for me to kind of walk that back now because I need to. I know. Um, so, and also the the volume of incoming queries, it's large. Yeah. And I would say that writers who are, are querying should not feel, yeah, everyone says it's a business of rejection a little bit. And that's true. And like you said, people make a decision within the first page, the first five pages, because you know what works for you. So if it doesn't work for me, it might work for someone else. And that's the beauty of the industry because you can find an advocate if you are a not. Or, and I will say this with a lot of love, like self-publish. It works for so many people. There's a lot of marketing information out there. And so many people have been so hugely successful in the space. It's not an ugly thing to do anymore or say, like, you should consider that as an option as well. So you've talked about with pitching particularly, it's really important that a writer is pitching you in particular, that it's not a generic, this is just, I'm here's my batch of agents and I've just picked them just because they represent my genre, if you've done that research. So right. there always should be a very specific reason to it, which comes with research, just like you said, with, as if you yeah. were to look at a journalist, you'd be looking at specific reasons as to why to pitch to them. Yeah. You tweeted recently about, send me your one sentence pitch. And right. I think this is the other thing that I've always tried to say to writers is you have to be able to say this in a, a small amount of words, right? And the reason yes. is because if you can't pitch in a small amount of words, you can't expect your agent to then pitch to an editor team, an editor to pitch to their publishing team. Your job is to make your boss's job or your partner's job easier. That's right. one of those things. So being able to package the big hook elements or the big elements of your story in a one sentence pitch, logline, premise, whatever you want to call it, is yeah. a really important skill when it comes to the query process. When you sent that tweet out, were there very specific things in the one sentence that you look for in order if you're going to like a story or not? I think that's an impossible question to answer only because I can't say what specifically resonates with me, but I know it when I see it. And there's some people who wrote back and were like, I'm writing women's fiction about this. And some people wrote back like very, very like cool Twitter vibes where they're like, YA, rom-com, and then like emojis that show like what the vibe is or give you like also a, a Pinteresty vibe board too, which is very interesting to me. Like when people have so deeply considered what their work is that they have a mood board for it. And that's not to say I need a mood board all the time, but I do think in the YA space, people tend to make a mood board. But if you're telling me something about like, one or two of the main characters and the plot and why it's interesting, that's a pitch that is more likely to excite me. Mm -hmm. But that said, it's also based on the full premise of what your pitch is. Like, I'm not very much into what people would call male thrillers, like the Russian spy necessarily, or the World War II spy. That's not entirely my vibe. That Mm -hmm. said, there might be a book that like totally blows my mind and it's really exciting. It's very page turning, but that's not where I usually think that I have the greatest strengths. Mm-hmm. So that's not necessarily what I'm looking for. So if you're just pitching me that, you might have a great one sentence pitch, but it's not going to be for me. I do like a comp. It's great to say in the vein of blah, 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 because that helps me establish like how I could then turn around and pitch it to editors. And it says to me that you're self-aware and you know what your work is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to scroll back through what people kind of said to me. When you're looking for something, I guess, like the hook, when it comes to a pitch, it always says that the hook is really important. The character is the hook. Sometimes writers can overthink the hook. They get really nervous about what is is my hook? Is there a way that you can help writers wrap their head around what their hook might be and how to pitch it? Ah, like how do you even discover what your hook is? Mm -hmm. So let's use romance as an example, I guess. Sunshine, grumpy, enemies to lovers romance in which a xyz falls in love with a xyz and they both learn something about love lust and feminism that's a a truly terrible pitch i'm like so sorry it can't be more specific but like you've given me the bare bones and you fill in the blanks there genre about this character brief description and this character brief description who fall in love despite blah 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 and here's what they learn about themselves like Publishing love is like a triplet of family, 
strength and personal growth, whatever three adjectives or descriptors you want to use, we need to be able to to do that as well to show that the key the keynote here for our publishers like this is a book about feminism, but still a romance, or this is a sapphic rom com which is cool and hot right now. So cool, I can pitch that. Or this character has this difficult background and that's a hot topic right now. So that could be a compelling reason for me to actually read this one versus another one. That's like having been in the pitch game for so long. It's just like kind of for me, I know, but when I see it. Well, what's so interesting there is like you mentioned like using adjectives and the adjectives are the quickest way to describe something, but doesn't give you much visual assumption of what something is. It's so broad. Then when you get into something like the back cover, you really need to be pitching plot, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the log line. Right, right. You have a, because it's a line versus what, 50 words as a pitch versus, you know, 10 words as a pitch. So yeah. when you're looking at that, maybe a way to help writers do this is to dump everything they can, but then see how much they can dial back for plot so and then dial back to great. the key features. That's how I write too. I pull paragraphs, I write sentences, I get them on the page and then I start moving them around and then I start editing. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I write a pitch and then I'd go through like, I'd leave it in my drafts for a while. I'd come back to it and I'd be like, oh, that's that's too much. Or I'd move a sentence that's lower down up to the top because I'm like, here's my actual question. One of the things I've learned from pitching to journalists is you have to ask a question. You're not just like, here's a book. Thanks for considering. Mm -hmm. You're like, here's a book. Do you want to review it? Do you want a review copy? Would you like to represent me? Like, there's a question in there. There needs to be a question in there. Otherwise, no one's going to write back to you. Or what's the point of writing back to you? Right. Call to action, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a call to action. And I think with you specifically, if writers are listening to this and they're thinking, yes, Ariel is definitely the agent that I want to pitch to, you mentioned previously in your specificities in commercial fiction some elements that might be hook factors. I think you said family drama was one of them. Can those be considered hooks? Yeah, I mean, that could be considered a hook, but I kind of want to see what the drama is about. Sure. And that's the deeper hook. Or what are the stakes? I think that's a good question to ask yourself. What are the stakes? What are the characters overcoming? Is it personal? Is it an actual physical boundary? Is it circumstances? Whatever it is, the stakes are ultimately what are going to also hook in the reader because Mm -hmm. they want to answer the question romance, suspense, commercial fiction, feel-good fiction, whatever it is, you're trying to get at the heart of something and then there's a question there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why are we asking ourselves this question and how do we answer it? That's, for me, if you move forward down the line, I like to, in a suspense for the answer to blow my mind on the last page. I love that so much. But there can be a question that's answered in the middle of the novel to an extent, but I like it toward the end. Mm-hmm. That's good to know, right? If we're listening to this, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, we are at the top of the hour, so I want to move into the lightning three. So my first question for you is you're working at UTA, and sometimes when I ask literary agents is, what is the unique factor that as a literary agent you offer to clients, to ideal clients? I think mm-hmm. that's more obvious for you. I think that you have a lot of skills from your background, and a lot of the conversation has shared what makes you really special. So I'm curious to ask about UTA because you probably had agencies to pick from. And I think that it's equally important for writers to be researching the agency as much as the agent. So I really wanted to know why UTA? What about their team, about their level of professionalism and expertise and what they were representing really hooked you and made you decide that's the agency that I wanted to work at? Yeah, and it's a very good question, and I could actually write an essay on the UTA vibe, but but I think what's special about UTA is the collaborative atmosphere, which you might not get at some of the bigger agencies or even, you know, there's the boutique agencies are also amazing too. But at UTA, very collaborative and very service-oriented. So you're a UTA client. That means other people in other divisions like motion picture, TV, speakers, endorsements ventures. Everyone's looking at how they can help you. So one of your goals is to like build your brand as a writer and write books, but then maybe they're down the line. You want to, you want to write a play. We have a division for that. We have people who can help with that. And so there's all of these different components that make it a really good experience. And all the agents within UTA, LA, New York, Nashville, Atlanta, London, 
there are so many people who are willing to help. And I have found the environments so far to be very open, collaborative. People are very okay with asking questions, answering questions. And people have been very curious about me and reaching out. So like I've felt the love and I also am very much behind the model of how can we help a client beyond books? It helps to be a Hollywood agency because that means you have access to an incredible talent, TV, film structure and, and selling those rights and what people all say, exploiting the IP. But it excites me because all of those things are there and, and for me to learn about too. And it's a really cool position to be in to have that knowledge that you just don't get at a smaller agency. I love yeah. that answer. I'm all about teamwork as well. I think whenever you can hear that an agency is collaborative, that is yeah. a win on top of a win. So yeah. yay to that. Yay, thanks yay, for saying Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go UTA. So you mentioned film and TV rights. So let's go there for our second question. Uh, we've talked a lot about Frederick Backman. A Man Called Otto just came out. Tom Hanks yeah. as, as yeah. Otto, which is the adaptation of Man Called Uba. And I know that you did some publicity work, a lot of publicity mm -hmm. work, probably for helping with that, which is really exciting. You've mentioned that UTA specifically also has connections to the, the film and TV agency being a Hollywood agency. Now, to get to a question about all of this, one of the things that I've heard a lot of writers say is that they always dream that their book will be adapted into a TV series or a film. It's interesting because when you're writing a book, writing a book is actually quite different than writing a script. There's, yes. you know, I always say the Ernest Hemingway comparison of the iceberg theory, what you see above the surface is the TV show, and then everything below is the book. When writers are writing their story, how can they differentiate between writing something that has the opportunity to be eventually adapted? There's film or TV potential, but they're yeah. making sure that they're keeping to the medium of a book and really bringing that to its highest level. Of writing. Right. Is there something when you're receiving submissions or something that you've worked on in the past that you think to yourself, this one's going to make a great TV show or this one's going to make a great film, but this right. is what's special about the book. How do you differentiate between the two and know the potential, but also salvage what's special about each embodiment of yeah. the separate mediums? Yeah. If that makes sense. I, I think it, it all comes back to the book and the way it makes you feel and the quality of the writing. Some books... You might read and say, like, it had this cinematic quality to it. Mm -hmm. People might say that because it there were sweeping, I don't know, descriptions of the place. So maybe it's a sense of place that feels like it could translate really well to screen. Maybe it's the dialogue that really moves things forward and it feels like, you know, you could easily see Meryl Streep saying this line or whatever. It, it just takes one person to really get behind something like that and then try and push it forward. But adaptations are... Not few and far between because you've seen news about them all the time and everyone who has done any research on this knows your options can be sold and then the option will run out. And so just having your book sold doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be made, but there are so many reasons why that's the case. And like maybe that's proprietary, I don't really know. But it takes the right combination of talent being available, producers being available, directors being available. Someone's movie shoot goes three months longer, and then you've lost like a key caps member and then the whole thing falls apart. So there are a lot of reasons something might get made or, or might not. But in choosing, I don't think there's really a book out there that someone might not say, oh, this should become a film or I could see this as a TV show. And it really, it's just down to the book and what resonates with people. I don't think there's one thing or another that said, like maybe there's a sci-fi that's just like so out there, you can't see how like a budget could come together to cover whatever. But then there's Star Wars, like Star Wars just blows everything out of the water with its effects and all that. So maybe I'm wrong. I think it's it comes down to the source material and it doesn't matter. You just take the book, turn it into a film. And if the script is bad, someone else will come in and fix it. Someone else will rewrite it. But if you're a writer who wants to write a book, concentrate on the book. If it is the one that will be picked for an adaptation, Great if that's what you're wanting, but it's likely will be because there's a certain element that has connected with someone who advocates for it to move in that direction. Right? Yeah, you can't write a book just because you want it to become a movie. Then write right. a screenplay and hope you find an agent who can represent you as a screenwriter. But if you want to write a book, you write the book and write a book that only you can write. And that will be a compelling IP prop, you know, situation. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Yeah. One step of the process at a time, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
All right. And for my third and final question, I would love to know, you've mentioned now as a publicist, you worked obviously closely with writers and as an agent, you work very closely with writers. So obviously working with writers is important to you. Yeah. Why do you love to work with writers so much? Why do you find that work meaningful? I think that goes back to what we talked about with just wanting to talk with other people about the story. And I have always been a reader since I was very little. I went to Borders Books and Barnes and Noble with my dad on the weekends and like was allowed to pick out a book or two and went to the library and did the same thing. I love stories and I don't think I necessarily want to write them, but I so appreciate people who have that talent. And my skill happens to be bringing that talent to a market. And maybe if I had grown up in a different way, I would be doing something entirely different. I am who I am. And I've always loved books, collecting books, even if I'm not going to read them. And that books have changed culture in so many ways. I often say, like, how many segments on the Today Show or Good Morning America or CBS were inspired by a book, whether that's nonfiction or fiction. So we're driving books, drive the culture forward and in an amazing way and change culture. And it's amazing and fun and exciting to be part of that. And writers themselves, I don't think I started my career in publishing and thought, I want to work specifically with writers. I just, I think of the books as the property and then the writers are there. And if you get lucky, you work with amazing writers who are also good people. And sometimes you don't get lucky and they are not amazing people. But it goes back to you want to talk about these books. You want to be a part of someone's team. You want to have a hand in making someone's dreams come true, which I also happen to think of being an agent as part of that whole, I would like to make your dreams come true. It makes me feel really good to help people do that. Mm -hmm. And now you have the perfect opportunity and you're in the perfect place to do that. So that's yeah. great. Awesome. Well, Ariel, thank you so much. Before we sign off, I just have to share these. There are two other blurbs. You'll notice them on the Publishers Marketplace if you ever go. I mentioned Frederick Backman's blurb about her being a publicist before. I just have to share these before we sign off. Zakia Dalila Harris of the New York Times bestselling book, The Other Black Girls, says, to say you are the best hyped woman is an understatement. So another huge one. And Rebecca Surley, who I also love, New York Times bestselling author, of In Five Years in One Italian Summer says, part wizard and part witch, I don't know how you do what you do, but I am so lucky you do it for me. So it's just like, wow, all of these, and you know, you mentioned Colleen Hoover, you, may, you mentioned Lisa Jewell, all of these great authors that you've worked with. I am so excited to see who you now take on as clients and the future is just unlimited for all of you. So thank you so thank much you. for being here and sharing your yeah. time. Well, thank you for having me and asking me like amazing questions. Now I'm going to go sit and think about what I want more. And I hope that whoever's listening finds this helpful and we can change some lives together. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Lit Match. It is my great pleasure to bring you these conversations with literary agents and help you understand more about the publishing business and writing craft. This podcast wouldn't be the same without you. And I genuinely mean it when I say how touched I am by the responses to these episodes and how wonderful I feel when I hear that these episodes are helping you with either the literary agent research process, the writing process, or understanding more about the publishing business. So thank you so much for anyone who has reached out to share that or anyone who's offered recommendations on what I can do in order to make this show the go-to resource for you in order to understand how to blend business with passion when it comes to publishing books. If you haven't had a chance to rate and review the show and you are enjoying it, I would so appreciate if you take a quick one or two minutes to do so. Word of mouth, rating and reviewing a show is the best way to help me find more writers like you who are passionate about stories and writing books, but want to learn more or need some help when it comes to writing and publishing the book itself. If you have any recommendations for Lit Match or would like to contact me about anything that you think would be great for the show, feel free to email me at abigailkperry at gmail.com. And don't forget to sign up for my newsletter, which you can do on my website, www.abigailkperry.com, so that you can be the first to know when new episodes and new content is released. And that's all I have for this week. I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of Lit Match. Until then, if you're in the writing process, have fun with it. Keep going. Keep writing your story. The work you are doing is meaningful, and I can't wait to see what it becomes. And if you are in the query trenches, 
persevere, continue to research for that literary agent who is the best business partner for your writing career. Don't be afraid to take the chance and query them. I cannot wait to hear when you sign with that literary agent and celebrate your book when it comes out.